If I started hopelessly contradicting myself every, every message, that would be a bad thing. It'd be tough to know how do we uh, listen to pastor if he's going to tell us one thing one week and the next week he's going to tell us the exact opposite. And if I started doing that, yeah, that would be a mess and you can't do that. I mean, two contra- actually contradictory things can't be true. So if one week I'm telling you you are saved by the grace of God purely and the next week I come back and say, no, you're saved by, by doing good works and trying hard. I mean, that would be a, a contradiction. Now I say that because at the same time, when we look at Scripture and we look at it as a whole, there are times where sometimes one part of Scripture, it's not contradicting another part of Scripture, but you have to look at more than one passage, to, more than one part to get the whole counsel. And sometimes one part of Scripture might give you a guardrail on one side, saying don't fall into this ditch over here. Then you read a little bit further and it gives you the guardrail on the other side. Don't fall into this ditch over here. And the goal is not to run as far away as you can from the guardrails. It's to try and stay you know, between the guardrails on the path that God is, is telling us. So as we've been looking at Second Peter so far, the first two messages, the points that we drew out from this, uh, really hit on uh, God's work in salvation and the sufficiency that uh, he has provided for us. And we had our first message uh, that we talked about faith of equal value. And we said that we made the point that it talks about uh, Peter is writing this letter to uh, those that, it says, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. And we said that if you're saved, it's not because of your righteousness. It's because the perfect righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. And therefore, we all stand before God, if you are a genuine believer, with the exact same righteousness. Because it's not ours. It's Christ's perfect righteousness. And you don't have different degrees of, of perfect righteousness. It's perfect or it's not. And he has taken our sin upon the cross. So it's his work. We saw last week, it talked about his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we made the point in that message that you already have all that you need. That he has already supplied to you the things that you need for life and godliness. But we tried to explain this in a way that wasn't going to then have it contradicted by what was coming next. So on one side, we see the first two messages, kind of a guardrail on one side. Now we're going to start seeing kind of the other side, you know, keeping us on this path. As we look at uh, having a faith that grows and part of our responsibility and what we need to also be doing as part of this growth, that it's not something that is just, that passively happens to you as a Christian. So let's read uh, not just the passage for today, but let's start at the beginning so that we can tie all of this together. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to uh, start at the beginning and read all the way through 9. So Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desire. 
So we've gotten up to that point, and now this is the, the new section that we're going to talk about today, starting with verse 5. For this very reason, and that's why I wanted to read the part that came before this, because it's connected. For the reason, everything we've seen before, now it's going to give us something else, but it's connected. There's the, what came before is the reason for what is going to happen next. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's what we will deal with today. So working through this, first point that I want to make as we head into this next section is this truth that we must be active in growing our faith. So we've talked about the fact that we have faith of equal standing. Yes, that is true. And we've talked about the fact that God in his divine power has been at work in your life if you're a believer and that he has already granted you everything that you need for life and godliness. Okay, and that you've even been made a partaker of the divine nature. Okay, so it's, it's his work in your life. He is the one that has caused you to be born again, that has given you new life in Christ. But now as we look at this section... The takeaway from these past two messages isn't just to say, well, I have everything I need. I guess I've arrived already, and I can just, I can just float and be passive because I, I, I'm here. I'm, this is as good as I'm going to be. I'm perfect now. This is great. No, we're seeing that we need to be growing in our faith. There's more that we need to, um, it talks about supplementing or adding on to this, but we have to think about that in the right way. And it means that we need to be active in this process. So look again at the the beginning of verse 5. It says, for this very reason. Okay, so again, it's by God's grace. He's given us what we need. We can't say, well, I I don't have the tools I need. I don't have the the, the power. He's given us, he's connected to us with his, his divine nature and us being born again. But for this very reason, make every effort. So it's talking about effort. It's talking about, about work that we need to be doing in the Christian life to be growing. And not just a little bit of effort, to make every effort. The way that this is worded, this is, this is strong. This means that there is, is vigorous things that we need to do if we're going to develop. And in the same way, if you were uh, part of a sport, uh, you would need to practice. You would need to grow. You would need to train. And if you're just doing that you know, five minutes uh, before the, the championship game and this is the first time you've put any effort into it, that's not going to be what you really needed. There needs to be uh, effort and vigor that we do in growing our faith. But we do this still based on, we're saved by Christ's righteousness. Just want to keep making that clear. And this is all in God's power. So the Christian life is, on one hand, it's not done by self-sufficiency. It's not done in our own strength, our own power. That's what we've talked about. But at the same time, it is something that is, that is not passive that we're called to grow, to make this every effort. So I think an illustration of this, we can think of even like a, a human baby. 
you know, when a baby is born, and Scripture talks about being born again. It's a description that is used. You see that in John chapter 3. And Peter, in 1 Peter, he talks a lot about being born again. And so we're, we're born again by the Lord. It's, it's his work. Uh, but if you have a actual a human baby, a literal baby, uh, it is designed to grow. I mean, that is what it is designed to do. But at the same time, the way that you uh, parent a baby, you don't just say, well, this baby is designed to grow. And so, you know, they can be a lot of work and a lot of hassle. Here's what I'll do. I'll take the baby and I got his room. I'll put him in his room and just kind of lock the door. Wait 18 years. Okay, I'm going to unlock the door and look, we got a a mature, grown-up here, ready for the world. All right. No, on one hand, a baby is designed to grow. They also need things like food. They need to be nourished. They need that in order to grow. A baby also needs exercise. So you have your newborn, and you start, you know, when you can, you start giving them tummy time. And it might not seem like a lot, but it's what, you know, starts to give them that little bit of exercise, and later on there's more exercise. Now, if you're 18 years old and you're still just doing tummy time, uh, it's probably not going to cut it anymore. And we should say if you're a, a Christian, okay, maybe at the beginning, tummy time, that's, that's, that's helpful for you. You're just getting started. Uh, but hopefully you're growing beyond just Christian tummy time. I think there's a lot of Christians in the world that aren't much beyond tummy time. And maybe you should make, take it a little more seriously when it says make every effort to be growing in our faith. So we need to be feeding. We need to be uh, nourished. And we need to be exercising. There's other things you could think of as well. So just the fact that you are designed for growth in the new birth doesn't mean that it's going to happen automatically. And God's going to help. God provides the power for this. But we are also called to do what we need to do. It's, it's a both and. So on one hand, we want to avoid self-sufficiency. You know, this idea of you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It is your power. You're doing. No, we've seen God has provided the power. He, we depend on him. But the other side, the other guardrail, is that we also want to avoid passivity. Just being passive and I'm just going to float and take it easy and expect this is just going to happen on its own. God in his word is telling us that he's going to help us. This is as far as Christian growth, okay? Uh, but there are things that you need to do. So the attitude is not, you know, this attitude of just let go and let God. Um, that he's just going to do everything and I'm not called to do anything at all. Okay? Now again, I want to make this clear. Your salvation is not because of your works at all. It's because of completely what Jesus Christ did for you. But as we grow in Christ, now you had to receive Christ. You had to turn to him as, your, as the Lord, as your Savior. You had to do that. But even that is because he called you. He's, he's working in your heart. But Christian growth is a matter of, well, I like this phrase, divine dependence. And I got that from Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite authors, uh, so many good books. Uh, but he has a, a book that's called uh, The Disciplines of Grace. And in that, he has a chapter, and he talks about uh, it being uh, dependent discipline. And I thought that's really helpful. We're, on one hand, we're depending on God. We're depending on his strength. But there's still things that we need to do in order to grow. That Christian growth doesn't just happen automatically. We need to be putting effort into it. So, 
as we look through this passage, it's going to come on this list of virtues and uh, qualities that we need to add. And it's going to talk about faith, um, supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, and it's going to go on. There's a list of eight different things. And as we, uh, as we look at this and try to think about you know, making the effort to add these things to our life through uh, dependent discipline, um, I guess where I saw kind of, I had to be careful how I worded things before so that it didn't come across like a uh, contradiction. If on one message I'm saying, you already have everything you need, and the very next message I say to you, you got to add these things. Kind of makes it sound like you didn't have everything that you need. And so I think, well, how do, I, how do we understand this the right way? And I think the idea, again, of a, um, of a baby is really helpful. Because you think of what a, a, a baby, and again, we're born again, we're born again as, as babies in Christ. We're not mature yet, uh, but there's been miraculous work that has happened. Um, but it kind of got me thinking back to the series that we did last month when we talked about um, abortion, we talked about uh, the sanctity of life and the value and the goodness of life. And one of those messages, uh, we took a look at um, some of these stages of development. And I remember I was learning a lot of different things about um, babies at, at different stages. And when we talked about a baby that is... Uh, eight weeks since conception. And one thing that just kind of blew my mind is the, the scientific truth and fact that by that time, and what I have here on the screen, this is, we kind of showed these, uh, that's not an actual baby, it's uh, obviously, but it's a uh, scientifically accurate um, uh, figure, okay, uh, that shows exactly what the size and the level of development that an eight-week-old uh, unborn baby would have eight weeks from conception, and even how little that is, that at that point in development, uh, that baby already has every organ present in its body. And that, that blew my mind to think that little, but every organ is present. But those organs are going to have to grow. They're going to have to develop. And so um, when we are uh, created anew by the Lord spiritually, and we're born again, I think we, on one hand, we have these qualities already that in one sense, it's not that um, we, we don't have any love for the Lord. We don't have any brotherly affection. I think we have these, but, but it's small. It's in it just starting out. And so that's why I'm using the phrase that we need to, to grow in these uh, different qualities, that they're there in our lives. And I, I think as we look at this passage, we're going to see it's not that uh, we don't have these at all and we need to add one, and then once we finish adding that one, then we move on to the next one. I think these are all in our lives as new Christians, even if they're really, really small. But we grow in them, and we need to grow in each of these qualities. So I think that's the way to understand that. Well, on one hand, we already have everything we need because the Lord has granted to us everything we need for, for life and godliness, but we also still need to add these things and to grow in them and to, to supplement them in a sense. So let's take a look at what this, uh, this list is. There's going to be this kind of list of qualities that the Lord wants us to, to grow in. And we look at this, we're going to see the Christian life ought to grow in the following qualities. There are eight that are listed. This is not an exhaustive list. There's plenty of other things in Scripture that we grow in as well. But these are ones that 
uh, Peter mentions to us and then we are going to be thinking about. Now, I cannot spend 20 minutes to talk about each one of these. Okay, we can just take a little bit of time and I'll give you a little bit to think on to help uh, kind of zero in your mind as far as what this probably means. But I hope that you will be thinking about this on your own as well, both now and I hope through the week. And so if you're writing notes, you're writing things down, I hope that uh, you know, write down the list. And if some of the things that I have on the screen are helpful to you, you can write that down. But even more helpful to you might be things that God helps you to realize as we're talking about it. Because maybe uh, God will help you to realize, hey, this is a specific way that I need to grow in this. This is something I need to start doing, or this is something I need to, I need to stop doing in order to grow in this area of my Christian life. So be thinking about that this morning, but be thinking about this this week as well. So let me read this section again as we walk through it. It says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, I think Peter probably does not mean that these need to be added in this exact order. There might be something to, to the order and ways that one that comes before helps the other one, but I think we don't want to make that overly rigid. Maybe in another way, we need to think of it more like you know, making stew. These are ingredients that you need to add, uh, and you need to put this in, add this ingredient, now add, add this one as well. Uh, but all of these ingredients are really supposed to, to go together. And as I said, I think that all of these are present in a small way when you're born again, but we grow in them. But it is true that all of these really are connected to each other. And there is a sense that one does help the other and develop the other. But don't think of this in the sense that it's overly rigid, like, well, i got to just focus on this one, and I don't need to focus on the others until I finish this one. So don't be saying, well, you know, okay, self-control comes after knowledge. So uh, I don't really have to worry about growing in self-control. I'm still working on knowledge. So no point working about self-control yet. No, I think God wants us to be growing in all of these, uh, but as we grow in one, it's going to help the others as well but we're growing in them, I think, at the same time. So, first of all, it talks about faith. And I think it makes sense that it talks about faith first. Scripture is really clear that salvation comes by faith alone. Now, when we say that, uh, what we mean uh, really is that salvation is received by faith or through faith. Uh, It's given to us by the work of Christ. He's the one that lived a perfect life on our behalf. He's the one that died on the cross in our place. And it's given to us, another way of saying it is by grace. So it's by Christ alone, and it's by, by grace alone, which means it's a free gift. You did not earn it at all. But the way that we receive this gift is through faith. And faith doesn't just mean believing facts. I mean, that is part of it. You have to believe some truths. But it means to trust. You're putting your trust in the Lord. So you're going to stop trusting in yourself for salvation. You're going to stop trusting in your own good works, your own effort, and you believe him, you believe the promises enough that you can commit yourself to trusting in him fully. 
If you were in a building, in a high-rise, and this building was on fire, and there below you were uh, firefighters, and they had this big net set out, and they said, jump into this net and you will be safe. We will save you. You would have to, it would be scary, uh, but you would have to believe what they are saying, that they will catch you, that this net will save you, and you would have to believe it to the extent that you could stop trusting in staying in this burning building as your best bet, and instead you would leave that behind and you would commit yourself to this net, as scary as it is. And salvation, in a way, is like that. I mean, you are trusting in this burning building of your own good works and your own righteousness. And guess what? That is not going to save you because that building is on fire, that building is coming down. But you may say, well, it's scary, and I don't know if I can really believe, I can really trust that Jesus Christ is going to save me just because he's loving and good and promises to do so. Well, yeah, that is what we're asking you to do because God tells you this. It's in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit is telling you that uh, this word is, is true to telling you this in your heart. But it's not just a matter of believing it in your head. You need to leave behind your trust in your own righteousness. You need to leave uh, behind saying, well, I'm okay with my sin, and this is fine, and the burning building, this is just where I am. And instead to uh, commit yourself in the sense of trusting Jesus enough that you leave behind your own righteousness and you commit yourself to him as the one that fulfilled God's law perfectly for you, as the one that died on the cross in your place. That would be an insane thing for you to believe if it wasn't written in God's word. To think that God himself would come down and become a human being as well as the God-man and that he would love you enough, you, sinner, rebel, you enough to do all this in your place. I mean, that is a pretty big thing to believe. But we believe it because God has said this to us. It's in his word and the Holy Spirit through the word of God lets us know this, this is the truth. And so we believe facts, but we also entrust ourselves uh, to the Lord. So this is the beginning of the Christian life. We're saved through faith alone, uh, but we also grow in this as well. So there needs to be a certain amount of faith at the beginning of the Christian life, but we also grow more in this. You can grow to trust God more and more, that you trust him through the, through the difficulties in life. You trust that he is in control, that he is at work, that he's got you, that he is going to hold you no matter what may come in life that you can trust him that uh, living for him is of more value than all of the, uh, the glitter in the world and all the treasure that is out there that uh, the rest of the world is seeking to make them happy. And you trust you can go for, seek after the Lord and he will genuinely make you happy. So faith is foundational to all of this and it means trust. The, section, the second one that it talks about is virtue. And this is one, okay, what do we mean by this? Different translations, uh, may give different words for this. Um, goodness, uh, the NASB has moral excellence. It can also mean uh, worthy of praise. So a virtuous person is, is worthy of praise. Um, what I think is helpful to realize this is that, especially in the ancient world, when they talked about something being good or praiseworthy or virtuous, what they meant by that to a large degree, meant that it fulfills its purpose. And so if you had a good knife, 
okay, or a virtuous, praiseworthy knife, it would mean that this knife cuts well. If you had a good jar, it would mean that this jar holds water well, that it does what it's, it's designed to do, it fulfills its purpose well. So if you think of this as far as us, with God in mind, what is praiseworthy for us, what, what is good for us, is to live according to our purpose. And what is our purpose, according to the Bible? Not according to the world or according to what you make up in your heart. I mean, ultimately, if you get down to it, we are here to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To live for God, to bring him glory, and to find our happiness in him, which gives us joy and gives him the, the glory and honor through this to live lives in a way that more people come to know him and glorify him and find their joy in him as well. And so if we're thinking about being a, a virtuous person, a, a good, morally excellent person, I mean, that's at the core of it, that we're living our lives or seeking to more and more according to the design that he has for us, why he created you, why you exist in this world. So we add to our faith virtue. We add to our virtue, it says, knowledge. And this means a lot of things. We've said that knowledge is one of the uh, key themes in Second Peter. And it doesn't just mean facts, but it does mean believing facts. Okay, it goes more than this, and it is about having uh, relational knowledge with the Lord. But let's not forget the fact that you also need to have factual knowledge of God, who he is, what he's revealed to us. And if you said, I've been married uh, now for, you know, I've been married for 23 years, uh, and however long it's been, I just said that. My wife isn't here, so if you ask her how long it's been, I think 23 years. Uh, (laughs) But if I said, you know what, we have a great relationship, I know my wife, and and great, but man, I don't know anything about her, Uh, that would be kind of strange. You want to both, you know, I said, well, I like having her around. I've just never got, I've never bothered to learn anything about her or her life or, you know, what pleases her or her interests. No, but so many Christians, in a sense, will say that about the Lord. Well, it's just about a relationship. I have him here, and I don't care about listening to what he actually tells us about himself, what he tells us is true or what pleases him or displeases him. No, we need to care about those things. So we do need knowledge. God has, is a revealing God. Okay, he has given us this book to reveal truth about uh, this whole story of the world that we find ourselves in, all the way from Genesis to, to Revelation, beginning to end. Finding our purpose in it. What was, this world was created for. What's wrong with this world. How we can be, uh, things can be put right and how it ends. Tells us about how salvation works. Tells us about what God is like, what he's not like, what pleases him, what displeases him. And we need to learn this. And this takes time. Make every effort to grow in these things. And I think one of the reasons that Christianity in many ways is in trouble is because of how little effort we spend learning God's word. A lot of churches, it's about coming to you know, have your emotions tickled, you know, to see a nice concert, uh, to be made to feel good about yourself and how wonderful you are, and very little about learning about God and what he says from his word and what he has revealed. And with all the pressure that we face in this world, I mean, think of how much is against God's truth and against Christianity. What is Christianity going to 
be like if Christians don't spend effort doing this learning from God's word. Think of how much is being poured into you, into your children, every single week. And if we, at the most, say, well, I'm willing to give 45 minutes, you know, to learn from the word of God once a week, how is that going to be 20 years from now, or even 10 or even 5 years from now, with all the pressure? I want to encourage you to think about how much effort are you spending growing in your knowledge of God's word? And I want you to think about uh, if, not for, just for yourself, but also those of you that are parents and you're raising children in this world that we live in, what are you doing to help them to be grounded in the word of God? And I think things that we need to consider are um, being here for Sunday school. I think just coming to the service, I'm glad you're here. And I hope that you're able to be here consistently because I think the more consistent you are, the more you're going to get out of it. But I want to encourage you to, to get your families plugged into Sunday school for yourself so you're growing, so your kids see you growing, and so they're being poured into you. I want to encourage you to be there Wednesday nights or Wednesday morning for the ladies. They have that option too for, for Bible study, for the kids to be plugged in for the Explorers program, for youth group that they're being poured into now, at the same time, I really would like you to be um, in your word yourself, in the word of God yourself. You should be in it every day. You should be learning. You should be growing. Uh, you should be, at a time, getting past having to be spoon-fed, but you're also able to be feeding yourself throughout the week, that you're reading good Christian books that are going to help you with that. I mentioned Jerry Bridges. I'd be thrilled if you read every book that he's ever written, okay? It's not the word of God, but it'll help you with that. It's good, good stuff. So I want to encourage you with that, men. We are going to be starting a series on uh, the life of Samson this Wednesday, 6.30 at Bible study. And so I encourage you to be there for that in the book of Judges. Great time to, to plug back in if you haven't been there. But I want you to think about that. And I also want you to think, because this is something I've noticed as well too, I really want to encourage you to take a look at your consistency coming to church. And I realize there's going to be weeks you can't make it. And I realize it's not going to work for everyone to be at everything, and I'm not here trying to guilt trip you on this either. But how much more will you and your kids get out of it if you can try to be there more consistently than, uh, than maybe you are? And maybe take a look at the next 10 weeks, how many times do you actually come? I think a lot of times we think we're there more than we are, but if you actually mapped it out, you might see that you thought you were there like 90% of the time, and you realize, oh, it's quite a bit less. So, again, not guilt-tripping you, but if we're to grow in knowledge and make every effort to do this, there might be things that we need to be doing more if us and our families are going to uh, be solid, set firm in this world. So, we're to add to our virtue knowledge, and then we're to add to our virtue uh, self-control. In the Young Families class, we've been going through Titus, and we noticed uh, it talked about self-control. It's something important four times already where we're at in chapter 2. What an important thing. And self-control, controlling your passions and your desires rather than having them control you. Such an important thing to grow in. And so this means that you're not being controlled by your emotions. That you're just, your heart, is, you're following your heart and your desires wherever they may lead you. You're not being controlled by, okay, your 
your sexual passions. Think of how different this is from the world. The preaching of the world today says that if you have a certain desire, especially if it's a sexual desire, hey, you better fulfill that or else you are denying yourself uh, who you really are. The Bible says we have all kinds of passions. We have all kinds of desires and whims and who knows what it is. Uh, They might be fleeting or they might be deeply within us, but some of them are not right. That the human heart is deceitful. That we we are bent in wrong directions. And there's a lot of things that we might want to do that we need to tell ourselves, nope, I can't do that. That's not a good thing for me to be doing. And whether it is reacting against somebody in, a, in, a, in an emotional way because you're upset and you think, well, I can just um, react and be this you know, exploding time bomb all over the place. Or fulfilling, you know, like I said, your, your lusts or your desires. Or just floating around whatever whim may take you. Instead, we need to be controlled by the Lord. So it's self-control, but it's with the Holy Spirit ultimately controlling us and through the Word of God directing us. Yeah, there are times where you need to say, this is not what pleases God, so even though I feel like doing this, I'm not going to do it. Because what he says is more important than just how I feel at the moment. Most people in the world are willing slaves of their emotions and desires. They're like a, a, just a stick floating in the river in the rapids going wherever it takes us. But we're supposed to be self-controlled. We're also supposed to be <coughs> steadfast. This word also sometimes is translated as, as perseverance. If you have the King James, it's going to say patience, which I think is not quite as helpful in this case uh, because literally the word that is translated here for steadfast comes from two different Greek words, one that means to remain, and the other means uh, under. So to remain under. So it's like you're under this weight, okay, and it's going to crush you, but you are being strong to stay under this pressure without, without budging. That you are building up endurance in life, perseverance, even when there are difficult times, even when there are pressures. So as you mature as a Christian, the mature Christian isn't just isn't giving up. Isn't just something is getting a little bit hard or really hard, and so you just bail on it. That through God's strength and through dependence on him, we're able to stand fast and not give up and give in under pressure. So we add to our self-control steadfastness, add to our steadfastness godliness. And the word that is used here for godliness has this idea of um, respect for God's authority and our duties to him. That it could be used um, in the ancient world even of uh, respect for other authorities and doing what you need to do. There used to be a time people would talk about, you know, a religious person. And we don't talk like that much anymore because I think religious has this bad connotation. And some people will say, I'm not, I'm not religious, I have a relationship with Jesus. And okay, I, I get what you're saying. And especially if what you mean by that is, I, I'm not into dry works or dry duty or earning my salvation. Okay, I, I get that. We're, we're not about that. But there is a sense of um, religious or godly or devout in the old sense that there was a healthy aspect to that too. That meant that you had a correct reverence for the Lord. That meant that you recognized that there were certain duties that you had to the Lord, that he is your Lord. Lord means Lord. It means master. And that we do follow him. We do, he has obligations on us, and we want to live those out. 
Now, as Christians saved by grace, we realize that's not, that's not something dry. That's not something that we do to earn our salvation, but it's something that we do joyfully. And, but it is our duty that we do because we, we love the Lord and we recognize who he is. And we recognize his lordship over our lives. So we want to grow in, in godliness. What are things that you realize that God is calling you to do? That it is a, a duty to do it because he is Lord and he calls you to do this. And we want to grow in, in fulfilling those obligations the right way. Not earning your salvation, but because he, he's Lord and it's our pleasure to, to live for him and to, uh, to serve him with our lives. And then we're to grow in brotherly affection. The <coughs> Greek word here is literally Philadelphia. Which you think, Philadelphia, that's a city. Yes, it is. And it is named after this, uh, this word. If you've heard of Philadelphia, uh, called the, the city of brotherly love, now knowing about what Philadelphia kind of is like, that may seem kind of odd. Uh, but literally, the Greek word Philadelphia is from two parts, phileo, which is a word for, for love, um, especially like uh, kind of brotherly love, and then adelphos, which is the literal word for brother. So it literally means brotherly love or kind of a, a family affection that you have. Now, this isn't just for the, for the brothers. This is, you know, sisters as well. We get that that's implied in the word. But it means that as Christians... We need to be growing in brotherly love that we have for one another. That you realize that other Christians are your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have been born again, okay, uh, spiritually, you are part of the same spiritual family as every other person that has been born again. And that you have been, in another uh, metaphor scripture uses, that you've been, well, you've been adopted by God into his family, okay? I mean, our adoption is is a metaphor of the real adoption that we have from God. So we are part of his family. We're part of the same family. So it's one thing to say, well, I have brotherly affection for my actual family. As Christians, we grow and we realize that all Christians are our actual spiritual family. And so whether you have the same interests as they have, whether you like them, whether they drive you crazy, we grow in family affection and care that we have for one another. And this also means that we want to live this out in the right way. It means that we are caring for each other. It means that we are growing in, in connection with one another. We're helping each other out. I mean, that's what family does for each other. We help each other. We want to be together I mean, it's one of the reasons we come together as a church, as, a, as a, a, the family of God. I mean, it is about the Lord, and we're coming to serve him and to learn from him, but it's not just a vertical thing, us with the Lord. It's also a horizontal thing with us and each other. And we're called to pour into each other. We're called to encourage each other. All these one another things that are listed in Scripture that we are meant to do together. You can't live your Christian life alone in a silo with you and the Lord. We're meant to, if you're growing in Christ, to be growing in brotherly affection and connection with other Christians. Tertullian, in the early church, talked about this and said that, uh, he said, Christians, quote, are one in mind and soul. We do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another, 
All things are common among us but our wives. I'm glad he added that in at the end, just to make that clear. And this doesn't mean communism or socialism, but it meant like in a family you're willing to share and you're willing to help each other out. So we need to grow in that. And then finally, this virtue of love. And the Greek word here is uh, agape. And this is... Um, now, there are times in Scripture where phileo and agape really are interchangeable, but because you used uh, Philadelphia before and now agape, uh, I think it is drawing out this distinction that this is talking about this, this self-giving love that God has for us. This isn't primarily a mere emotion, okay? So we don't think of love as I just have feelings of love or feelings of romance. That's not what it means. When God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, that wasn't just a feeling of romance. That was, he was giving of himself, giving his son, and his son voluntarily coming to die on the cross for you. This is his love. It's, it's unconditional. Actually, it's better than unconditional. It's, it's counter-conditional. I mean, we don't deserve this love at all, and yet he gave us this type of love, not for his uh, just because what I get out of it. This is not a mercenary type of love. And a lot of the world's love is really mercenary. I love you for what you do for me. And so the love that we grow in is God's type of love, where it's like, I, I love you and I care for you uh, just because, not based on any condition in you. And maybe even in spite of it, I love you. And our love for the Lord ends up being like that as well too. Now, there's a lot to be thankful for, okay? But we don't love God just as a mercenary thing. Well, you did good for me, and so I'm, I'm going to love you. But the more you grow as a Christian, the more you find that you love God, uh, it's, it's not even just because of all the blessings he gives you. Your eyes are just open, and you realize that he is good, and he is beautiful and wonderful, and that it, even if he hadn't given you these blessings, he is still worthy of your love. So it's a love that is not tied to what we receive from it. So all these things, do you see them in your life? Do you see yourself, do others see them in your life? Maybe this is a good conversation you have with somebody that knows you well to think about, okay, which of these are, have you grown in quite a bit and be thankful for that? And which others are growth areas for you to keep working on with the Lord's help? We're growing all of these. And then finally, we see that growing in these qualities makes a Christian fruitful. So let me read 8 and 9 again. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So we see in this that these are qualities that uh, they should be yours and constantly increasing. So I think when you're born again, you, you have them to some degree, but you need to grow in them. They might be very small or, or barely there, but you need to grow in them. This means this is a progressive, lifelong work. You know, our sanctification, our growth in Christ is not an automatic thing. It is not instant and it is never completed in this life that there's always going to be more room to grow. There's always going to be more that we can keep putting. So never let off your effort with God. Keep growing in your Christian life. It's a lifelong process. And if it says that 
if you have these and they're increasing, it will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Well, I think the opposite of that must be true. These are things that will help you to be effective in the Christian life and what God has actually created you for in loving him and knowing him and serving him and making a difference in the world and the people around you. Bearing fruit, having these things produced in your life. You're not saved because of your fruitfulness. You're not saved for, because of your good works, but you are saved in order to produce good works, to have a change in your life. And they need to be increasing. If they're not increasing in your life, something is really wrong. You know, I showed you that little replica of an unborn baby. And if I went and got that uh, from a few weeks ago when I took out the picture, that was eight weeks at that time. I think, well, how big is that baby grown at this point? No, that one would be the exact same because that's not a real living, breathing baby. That's a replica. Do you want to just be a replica of a Christian or do you want to be a living, breathing, spiritually alive Christian? If you're a living, breathing, spiritually alive Christian, you're going to be growing. And the way that you see your life in one period of time to the next, there should be growth. There's going to be ups and downs, but there needs to be constant growth. That's what, and if there's not, there's something wrong. Okay, you need to look at what is the reason for this? Why aren't you growing? And maybe you need to check your pulse even. Because if you are not, if you don't have these qualities, you're not growing at all, that could be a warning sign. You know, maybe you're just a replica and you're not the real thing yet. And maybe you need to trust Christ for real so that you can be born again and start growing. We're going to talk more about that next week's message and the verses that are coming up. And it says, whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, so nearsighted that he is blind, that you, you can't even, you can't see, you can't remember. We had a conversation in our house, uh, I think just this weekend, about what's the difference between being blind and legally blind. And uh, here this is saying that, you know, if you're not growing in these, best case scenario, you're a Christian and you have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sin. You're not thinking about the cross. You're not thinking about God's grace. And you just become blind to this. That's best case scenario. The worst case scenario is you're not even a Christian yet if these things aren't in your life at all. But as Christians, let's flip this around. It means that if we open our eyes, we look at the cross, we keep remembering what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that is going to motivate us to grow. That is going to motivate us to put forward this effort that we have with his help, this dependent discipline, so that we can keep adding and growing in all of these different areas. Think of the great sacrifice that Christ made for you. Think of the love that he has for you. And take responsibility, yeah, to grow in your Christian life. Put in the effort. It's a process. It is by God's power and with his help. And yes, God has saved you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. He wants you to grow into the man or the woman of God that he created you to be. And he's there to help you with that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the full balanced message of Scripture that we get from your word. Thank you, God, that we do not have to be saved by our own works. That would be impossible. And we recognize that we are sinners and that if you judged us according to our own efforts, even if we tried hard for the rest of our lives, it wouldn't be enough. 
Thank you that you save us by grace. And also thank you that growing in our spiritual life is not by our own efforts, uh, but it is by your grace and with your help, and you've supplied to us everything that we need for life and for godliness. But Lord, you also call us to grow. You call us to put forth every effort. And so help us to depend on you and to also do what we need to do to grow, to be nourished, to be, receive nourishment from your word, to exercise our faith and our life. And may all of this be remembering what you've done for us on the cross and seeking to live for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our treasure. In his name we pray. Amen.